Remember the chorus you were in as a kid? How about your high school marching band? Or maybe it's just that one class you took in college or a summer camp at the local community theater. Or maybe you've been exploring being on stage as an adult for the first time. In every arts organization, there are hundreds of stories of how those experiences change people's lives. We want to hear and share those stories. These are the stories of impact and change making through an organization called Central Florida Community Arts. Through this journey, you will meet people who lead or intersect with our mission to build and serve community through the arts. On this episode, you'll meet Justin Michoni, the music director of our symphony orchestra. Hello, Justin. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm so glad you are the only the second guest uh, for our podcast. You you deserve to be the second guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is quite an honor. I appreciate that. Thank you. And you've been with us since the infamous garage meeting. You know, I, I tell the story where you are sitting on a beanbag chair in the corner and although I do remember that to be true, were you really sitting on a beanbag in the corner? I absolutely was, man. <laughs> it had been a good, solid couple of decades since I'd seen a beanbag chair, so I couldn't pass up the chance to, to sit down in one. And then I stayed in it for the entire meeting because I failed to remember how hard they are to get out of. So, oh, yeah. yes. There's no so graceful way to get out of a beanbag chair. Yeah, no graceful way. You're right. Well, you have been with us since the very beginning and in that initial conversation and your first role with with the organization was you actually hosted the VIP reception for the very first concert. Yeah, I, I was I was excited to get involved. I was relatively new to uh, living in Florida at the time, um, and I was excited to be a part of the organization. And, you know, like so many of us, it was just sort of a, what do you need? Where can I help? And so when somebody said, here's some toothpicks, put them in some cheese and, and hand them out to people, I, I that is within my skill set. <laughs> yeah, you you've you put a whole new spin on the serve piece of of the organization. So you've had a, an amazing career in the arts, Justin. You've worn a lot of hats and got to do a lot of neat things. Tell us how that journey got started. What it, what are some of your first memories of being an artist? Um, it's funny. I I've always been a performer at heart. Um, you know, I think that for a lot of us, have, I'm, I'm a middle child, and I think that I was always a little bit more creative uh, or uh, outgoing than my sisters. Uh, we were all musicians. I grew up in a family of musicians. Um, I remember sitting on the floor at my grandparents' house listening to Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass records that my grandfather would, would put on. Um, my grandfather played the trumpet. My dad and my uncle both played the trumpet. It was kind of known that I would grow up to play the trumpet. It's just kind of how it how it goes. But we did everything we could do in the arts, from singing in church as kids. Um, I mean, I guess I really felt like, and maybe every fifth grader feels this way, but I really felt like my big break was in the fifth grade school play um, mm -hmm. when I got the I got cast as Santa Claus in the winter play. And you would think <laughs> there's probably not a bigger character to play in the winter play than Santa Claus. Um, so I was all excited about it and then found out the, the play that year was called The Year Mrs. Claus Saved Christmas. And the entire play was about the fact that Santa got sick. And I spent the entire play laying in a cot on stage groaning while Mrs. Claus saved Christmas. So, oh, no. <laughs> so not quite the big break I thought it was going to be. Oh, uh, what a memory. <laughs> I, I, I tell you, that was a pretty humbling experience in the arts, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I mean, it was still part of the fun. I mean, I, you know. 
uh, from kids theater shows in church and, and elementary school. And then for me, really middle school and high school became so much more about playing instruments. Um, you know, I've always loved theater and singing and I, and I still have dabbled in it at other points in my life, but man, once I discovered playing in, in big ensembles, playing in concert band and getting into marching band. And then once I got to a point in my life where I could start to conduct and realize that my passion was, bringing other people together. Mm. You know, I, I didn't care that much about being in the spotlight. I just never did, which is rare for trumpet players. Trumpet players have a reputation of always wanting to be the loudest and the, and the, and the highest. Um, but for me, I was always fascinated in, in how ensembles sounded together and how they improved and how they rehearsed and, and the steps you would take to teach a group of very different people playing very different instruments in a way that they could come together to create something bigger than themselves. So once I got in front of my first ensemble as a conductor uh, back in high school, I, I was I was bitten, man. I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine doing anything else. You know, I still have nerves every time I get on stage, but when I go to speak or even when I go to sing still, which is pretty rare, there's nothing like the nerves that I feel when I conduct because there's this this crazy responsibility that you feel for everyone on stage. Uh, it, it, it feels like you, you know, you are conducting, but it feels like if you mess up, you mess up everyone. Like, do you ever feel that way as a conductor? Like it's a joy, but it's also a big responsibility. Um, it, it is a big responsibility. Uh, you know, we're very lucky through CFC arts. Uh, you know, our members are gracious and empathetic and generally forgiving. And we've all made mistakes in performance before things happen. That's the fun of live performance, but yeah, it is absolutely a responsibility. It's interesting because, you know, there are people who will tell you, look, the, the conductor is the simultaneously the, the most important and the least important person mm -hmm. in a performance. They're the only person on that stage. That's not actually making a sound you know, not contributing to the sonic experience that the audience is having. And yet that experience starts and stops with the conductor. Um, and so there, there's a lot of responsibility. And I think for us right now with what we're trying to build in our community, you know, with, with our members and our volunteers and, and really building a truly dynamic community experience here, um, I think that responsibility is even elevated a little bit more because, no one's getting paid to be in our ensembles. Nobody's getting paid to be in an orchestra right now. They are here. They are giving us their time. They are giving us their energy. And I want to make sure it is well worth it for them to be with us. So absolutely. You know, it means that we get the butterflies in our stomach. And it means that we prepare a little bit harder for rehearsals to make sure that when, when our members show up, they're going to get a great two hours with us. And they're going to know that I was ready for them. So, yeah, it works both ways. Um I think the longer I do it with this orchestra, the less those butterflies happen just mm -hmm. because we're at a point now where there's such trust with our musicians that I know they're not going to let each other down. They're not going to let me down. And they know that um, I'm going to do my best. There might be a few moments yeah. where we all look <laughs> at each other and go, well, that could have gone better. But that, again is part of the fun of live performance and part of the trust between a choir or musicians and their conductor that you just, 
know that you're in it together, right? No matter what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's funny. That's why being an ensemble truly is sort of the pinnacle of a community experience, of a shared experience, because you are all in it together. Every single person is necessary. It would not sound the same without, you know, without each and every one of them. And you have to trust that the person standing next to you or sitting next to you is going to be where they need to be when they need to be there. Um, and that the conductor is going to be, you know, where they need to be when they need to be there. So that idea of trusting each other so that you can become bigger than you could have on your own is, uh, is really kind of the, the point. You said that you, the first time you stood in front of your high school ensemble and you were able to conduct, you knew that you wanted to be a conductor. Was there any other moments that were impactful or that you were just proud of that really solidified I need to be doing this. Uh, uh, it's a great question. I mean, it, it did. It started, uh, you know, it started early for me. And I had um, I had the good fortune, like most of us who find a passion in life or find something that they really enjoy. Um, it's rarely by accident. It's usually because there is someone in your life who has shown you this. You know, so I learned from uh, my high school band director was uh, just an icon in our community and in our school. And, and he really was an inspiration for me. And so when I watched the response that he got out of his students and out of his ensembles, when I saw what we were capable of because of his leadership, that's when I knew there's something to this, this idea that, that a, a leader, a conductor, a teacher could bring people together in this way was fascinating to me. So I remember wanting to understand how and why, uh, you know, we had a large marching band. There were over 300 of us. Um, wow. And this one person could be in the center of all of that and still make it, make it work. Um, and, and so I remember being fascinated by it really f kind of from the outside. Uh, when I got into college, um, you know, I went to school for music education. I was there as a trumpet major. Conducting wasn't an option at the school that I went to, even though I knew that's really what my, my passion was. And so I started to look for opportunities to teach and conduct as, as early in my career as possible. So in my sophomore year, I was already a teaching assistant for freshman classes. Um, and by my junior year, I was the student conductor for our orchestra and for our concert band. I was drum major with the marching band. I was an assistant director at a local high school because I just couldn't get enough experience. Like I wanted every chance. I wanted to get in front of any ensemble and I wanted to try and to learn and to experiment and to get a feel for what type of communication people responded to the most. Um, and so I, there were milestones really along the way. Um, this might seem strange to you since you're a singer and a choir guy. The time when it really struck me though, ironically, after I got out of school, um, I, I was a high school teacher for a while. I was teaching middle school and elementary school, doing a bunch of different things. And I, and I took a job as a director of music at a, at a large Methodist church outside of Pittsburgh, where, where I grew up. Um, and I had to conduct a choir. I am not by trade a singer. Um, I, I'm a trumpet player. I'd been in front of bands and orchestras my entire career. That's what I did in college. That's what I was doing when I was teaching. And suddenly they said, hey, Justin, start a choir. Um, and so I had to stand in front of a group of people. And, and for me, conducting a choir is a significantly more vulnerable experience because mm. um, you, you have to sing parts to them. You have to demonstrate what you're trying to, to get out of them. And, and there's just so much vulnerability for me um, in that moment. And the first time that we sang a piece 
and they nailed it. And the blend was where I wanted it to be, and the tension was where I wanted it to be, and the dynamics and the, and the phrasing. And we got to the end of it, and you cut off the last note, and nobody wants to even breathe because there's that mm-hmm. magic hanging in the air. Um, the first time that I realized that that we could accomplish that corally just the same way that I could when I was in front of instrumental ensembles was the time when I realized like, this is it for me. I'm going to be doing this in some capacity for the rest of my life. Oh, I love that. Have you had a chance to go back and tell your high school band director how much of an artistic influence they were on your life? Um, I was very lucky that we were able to keep in touch. My, my parents were, uh, you know, we're good friends with him. Um, I, both my sisters were also in band. So we were a part of his band program for the better part of a decade between my sisters and I. Um, he came to my college uh, graduation, I believe, or at least over to the house afterwards. And and so we, we were able to keep in touch. And he knows how much of an impact uh, he had on me. And it was interesting. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of different schools of thought when it comes to high school, especially marching bands. And in today's day and age, most marching bands are highly competitive. They go to state competitions or national competitions. They are adjudicated. They're evaluated on their precision and their accuracy and their musicianship. And it's a competitive endeavor. Part of that is because we want to raise the bar and we like to make sure that we're measuring ourselves against the best. Part of it's because some school districts have a hard time to understanding the intrinsic value of the arts if they can't measure it. So when you can compete like the sports teams do and you can come home with a trophy, it's easier for people to quantify, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, yeah. But my director went completely against all of that. His philosophy was performing music is the reward in and of itself. Um, getting together with a bunch of people, playing songs that make other people feel good, that inspire or create a sense of awe or wonder in a sense of mo- in a moment, that's what we do this for. So we never competed. We could have won every trophy you put in front of us, at least in the large categories. We're a huge, really good band. But his point was we're not musicians so that we can be better than someone else. We're not musicians so that we can win trophies. We're not musicians so that somebody else can tell us whether we're good or not. We're musicians because of what it means to us. And he he drove us to to be our own best critics and our own best evaluators. And he got so much out of us because we didn't look outside for validation. We knew when we were good. We knew when people were moved by what we were doing. And I think, honestly, if you were to look at a lot of what we do with the orchestra today at CFC Arts, if you were to send in our audience, you know, even though it's been going on 25 years for me since uh, I was last under his direction, you, you still see a lot of his influence in the type of music we program and in the way we want our audiences to feel about what we do. So he knows. Yeah, wow. And, you know, that, what a great thing that he kind of instilled in the DNA of who you are as a conductor and creating moments of awe and wonder and storytelling. I absolutely see that in, in how you... Uh, create moments for our orchestra. It makes a, it makes a lot more sense to me now that that was something that was instilled in you, you know, from the very beginning. So, you know, Justin, there's so many rewards to being in the arts. We have these kind of pinnacle and defining moments that just make us feel wonderful. But there are moments, and boy, I could list a whole bunch of them, that I sure wish I had a do-over. 
Uh, is there anything that you would handle differently in your artistic journey? Any moments that you can encourage our listeners that, you know, sometimes you just mess it up and it's okay. Oh man. And like you said, there's probably more of them than I can remember on, you know, on like the big picture side of things. Um, I, I wing it an awful lot. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way. Like I prepare for our ensemble. I prepare for rehearsals and those kinds of things. And I make sure that we're ready, but I am not a, uh, a serious student of the craft of conducting. I didn't pursue my master's or my doctorate in it. I, di- I don't break down scores by masterworks of the 1800s in order to truly understand it. And there are people who do and who are brilliant at it and who can tell you everything about a piece of music. They can break out every chord and every melody and every bit of structure in a piece of music. And, and explain to you how they're going to conduct it and why they're going to conduct it and musically, scientifically, artistically, what are they conveying? And for me, um, it's been less about the science and a lot more just about the emotion. So mm. I go big or I go home. Um, and I know that you can relate to that a bit as well with, with what we do in a lot of cases at CFC Arts. So the idea that um, there are lots of times where I am not the most technically accurate of conductors. <laughs> But I'm going to jump around. I'm going to smile a lot. We're going to we're going to make a lot of noise, and we will all get to the end together. <laughs> um, and so there are uh, there are lots of those sort of musical moments where I look back and go, "Man, I wish I had, I wish I was more technically skilled than I am in certain places." And uh, we joke about it all the time in the orchestra. If, if any of the orchestra members are listening to the to the podcast. Um, we programmed a piece maybe three or four years ago now for a fall concert um, called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Everybody knows it. So it was in Fantasia. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a famous piece of music and a famous piece of storytelling through orchestral music. Um, people think of, you know, Mickey and the Sorcerer's Hat and the Broomsticks and such. But the actual orchestral music is really complex. It's really complex. And we pushed and pushed and pushed and we worked really hard. And to this day, I have like musical PTSD about that performance. (laughs) Like, I don't ever want to hear it again. I don't ever want to conduct it again. Like, we joke about it. The orchestra shares my sense of trauma around that one because (laughs) there were large moments in live performance in front of the audience where we weren't entirely sure that we were all playing the same thing at the same time. Like it happens, it does. And I think how you respond to it as a conductor, as a leader, as a musician is is an important part of that process. So for us, we weren't going to deny it. I acknowledged it. I flat out said, we were not quite ready for that one. That's on me. Not going to put you in that spot again. I'm able to make light of it now. And it actually became something that we were able to sort of build more trust between the ensemble and the conductor because of how transparently we dealt with the fact that I didn't have them ready for that performance. And I was never going to let that happen again. So if I see the Sorcerer's Apprentice show up on another program, I should dissuade you from doing that. Is that If you see it show up saying? on another program, you have it. You already have hired a new orchestra director. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So Justin, what would you, how do you describe central Florida community? What words would you use if somebody was telling you, asking you about who we are? I, I mean, do you want to get a little philosophical for a moment? Sure. Um, <laughs> early in our time, when we were when we were trying to come up with names, and we were you started you know just with the choir, we were trying to figure out what direction we were going to go with it. 
and we were getting the orchestra off the ground, um, I was really hesitant about the word community. Um, uh, you know, I was younger. I wasn't as experienced as I am now. I didn't know Central Florida as well as I feel like I do now. But I was really afraid of the word community because part of what we were hearing from musicians was that community, the word, was a barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, people didn't take us seriously because, oh, it's a community orchestra. That, that to them meant an amateur orchestra or a subpar orchestra. And they weren't going to invest their time in something that may not be very good. And so I was for a long time struggling with, do we need to downplay that word community? Do we need to work around it? Do we need to call ourselves something else to sort of hide that fact? And if you were to ask me like you just did today, some of the words that I think best describe us, I think the very first one I would talk about is community. Mm. Um, And not as a definition of quality, not as a definition of whether we are professional or or amateur in our membership. I don't mean it as a definition of that. I mean the word community as an idea that where we represent the people and the, and the lives and the community and, and, and the, everything that has come to make up Central Florida. When you look through our orchestra and you look through our organization, from the youngest children to the oldest senior adults, we have a more diverse orchestra than almost any other orchestra in America um, in terms of age ranges and and nationalities and languages spoken and all of these things. And so to me, we are a community in the best possible definition of that word. We look out for each other. We care for each other. We aspire to, to help each other be better. And we believe that we can accomplish something truly special when we work together. So the new word community is, is the first one that comes to mind. Um, and then, you know, there's, you and I could joke all day long about a lot of the other ones. You know, I could name everything from we're inspiring because I truly do believe that we are. Um, there are times where we are stubborn because a mm-hmm. hundred other people probably would have stopped eight or nine years ago. You know what I mean? There are arts organizations all over the country that that um, would have run into some of the challenges we've run into and said, OK, I guess this isn't meant to be. And sometimes our ignorance and our stubbornness and our desire to go, it doesn't matter. We're going to serve. We're going to we're going to bring people together. We're going to play music and we're going to figure it out. And we will all get through this and get to the other side and figure this out is a part of our success. Sometimes it's almost like you got a whole bunch of people together who didn't know how to not succeed. I don't know if that, that probably didn't make sense. We were yeah. just going to figure it out. There was no other option. We weren't going to um, take no for an answer. That's for we, sure. Yeah, <laughs> we weren't going to take no for an answer. There you go. That's a good way of putting it. So I really focus on the, the community. And um, we're, we are here for, we're here for the people. We're here for the people who make up the Orlando and the Central Florida community. Um, that's really what we're about. The arts are secondary to me the mm-hmm. the the fact that we get to perform and play great music as an orchestra is is thrilling but that's not our purpose we don't exist to perform great music we exist to connect people through the arts and so when you when you stay true to that idea and that purpose you realize pretty quickly that everything about what we do is about getting people together, getting people to feel good about themselves and each other and their community and the outcome of that, the output 
is great music. Um, and I think that's part of what sets us apart. A lot of the other ensembles that I have been a part of in my life start from a place of we will be great. We will perform great music and we'll perform it greatly. And if you like the people you're hanging out with, cool, that's the bonus. For mm. us, it's exactly the opposite. We start with we are going to bring great people together to have a great time. And out of that will come some great music. So I love that, Justin. You know, you and I have been in this a long time, uh, but I don't think I've ever asked you that particular question. I mean, I, I hear you talk about the orchestra and the organization all the time, but to phrase it in that way, it's beautiful to hear your perspective. And I don't know that I've ever described us as stubborn, but I totally <laughs> am going to put that into the, into the elevator speech now because I agree with you. We, uh, we, we really, and in this moment that we live in right now, uh, it has taught us to be flexible. It's taught us to, to be, uh, to be almost like streetwise and be able to move with, with what's happening and to, to adjust and to adapt. So I like the word stubborn. I'm going to use that. It absolutely has. Well, it it can be a very positive thing. I mean, maybe you don't mean it as a compliment when you're, you know, people are talking about their children or whatever, but it's a, it can be a very positive thing. And like you said, it's built a certain uh, sort of resilience into uh, into what we do as an organization, um, and it also it allows you to stay optimistic and to stay positive in the face of uncertainty, um, which is something we definitely need right now. Um, is that ability to go? You know what? We have overcome all kinds of things. Um, we haven't given up yet. Lots of other people may have walked away, but not us, and we're not walking away now. I love it. So every season we have to kind of update our descriptor of our orchestra because it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Our last concert, I believe we had 181 amazing people uh, on stage. But through the eight years, we've had hundreds of musicians who have called the Central Florida Community Orchestra home. And there are so many stories attached uh, to all of those. I have a really tough question for you. Do you can you share with us a story uh, of a member that came to the orchestra that you remember that really was just impactful? Uh, I mean, there's 180 of them right now uh, alone, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's, it's fascinating because like you said, we've had hundreds that have come and gone over the, over the years. Um, and that's a direct reflection of the fact that central Florida still is a relatively transient area with, um, you know, a high percentage of people who come here for college or to start their careers and then move on to other places because of the tourism industry, you know, jobs come and go, people come and go. Um, and that we've stayed consistent through that, um, you know, is, is pretty awesome. Um, there's a bunch of great people who have come and joined us at exactly the point in life that they needed something like us. And then have either moved on or, or have stuck around. I think one of my favorite uh, quirky examples, and it's not going to be like the deep pluck on your heartstrings kind of story, but there is uh, one of our cellists. Uh, her name is Megan. Um, she she often sits in, in the front row of the cello section. Um, and there was a rehearsal. I can't even remember. I'll have to ask her how many years ago was that she joined us. It was a handful of years ago, three or four, maybe five years ago. She walked into a rehearsal. And it was her first time, and I looked at her face, and I was like, you you look incredibly familiar to me. I've, I've seen this person before somewhere, but 
she was just introduced to me as somebody who's here for the very first time. This is, this is random. Why would I know her? And about halfway through rehearsal, uh, it hit me. And I believe at the end of that rehearsal, she came right up because it hit her as well. Um, back in, it would have been 2000, I don't know, five, 2006, something like that. In a, in a Methodist church outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I was putting on a rock Christmas spectacle um, at our church. We were producing with a rock band with a church orchestra that I directed, and we didn't have uh, a cellist. And somebody invited a friend to come, and we were playing uh, that famous piece by the Trans-Siberian Orchestra um, that's their version of Carol of the Bells that starts with a cello solo. And so we brought this young lady in to be our featured cello soloist in this rock Christmas concert. Uh, we had back litter. We had some great photos taken of it that became our poster for future years of this performance. And she was dynamic and she was fun and she was incredible. And then I absolutely did not keep in touch with her at all and jump forward 12 years. That same cellist walks into our orchestra mm -hmm. rehearsal in Winter Park I had no idea she was living in Florida. She had no idea I was down there. She didn't come to rehearsal because she knew I was conducting. She came because a friend had invited her, much like somebody had back in her days in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and we were able to connect immediately. And for me to have somebody here who was a part of my sort of pre-Florida life was awesome. You know, it was incredible. And it was really a testament to um, the way that music and community ensembles can bring people together, even even from thousands of miles away. That's so cool. And connect connections that we make in the arts, they last forever. And, and Megan has shared me several times how grateful she is that she found the orchestra and how it's really helped her connect also to Central Florida, similar similar to you. So Justin, we're going to have to have you back for part two of a podcast because there's so <laughs> much more I want to dive into with you. We just started started kind of scratching the surface of your art story and sharing those of our orchestra. But if you could leave us with some parting words, what, what do the arts, why do they matter? Why do we need to invest in them as a society? And, and what, makes, what makes our future bright uh, knowing that the arts are a part of it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, in terms of why should we invest in it? Why do they matter? Um, so, Human beings, despite the fact that we are currently living in an age of social distancing, human beings were not meant to do life alone. Um, that it's woven into every bit of the fabric of who we are, that we are at our best when we are together, when we are able to lean on others and share our strengths and, and bring out the best in other people. And the arts allow us to do that. We are also at our best when we are able to express ourselves truly and authentically and transparently and deeply. And the arts allow us to tap into a form of expression that we don't always get to tap into that not everyone is comfortable with. So when you, when you put those two things together, the idea that we are, we need each other, we need the sense of belonging in order to be our best. And we need to be able to express ourselves and express deep concepts in, in kind of unspoken ways. You know, the arts are, are, our vehicle to do that. And there's rarely, I mean, there are lots of things that are incredibly important in life. Obviously, people's freedom, people's health and safety and their ability to have access to food and clean water. Those things clearly have to come first. But when you look back historically at the societies that we historically point to as being 
pinnacles of human existence, we point to their arts. We point to their architecture and their painting and their music and their theater. We point to the ways that they elevated the human experience. Um, and if we want to continue to be great, we need to continue to invest in elevating other humans. And I think that the arts are, are a perfect way to do that. And most of history, great art, great performances, great expressions, and great innovations in the arts have come out of challenging times. Um, they just have. When artists feel the need to express themselves because something unjust or, or, or unsafe or dangerous is happening in the world, typically something profound happens. So to me, I, I think our future is bright because we are going through something right now as a society. And when we come to the other side, the voice of our artists, the, the words that we sing, the paintings that we paint, the stories that we tell on stage are going to be the kinds of things that, that transform uh, you know, our society and the next generation. I'm sorry, that's all probably very, again, philosophical or, or lofty. Um, but I do believe the arts serve an incredibly important purpose in our in our human existence. But when it really comes down to it on a day-to-day -day basis, people need other people. Even if we have to be distant from them, they need to know that they're there, that they share something in common and that they can continue to help each other get better. And the performing arts are, uh, have been, at least in my life, the best way to continue to believe that we can be better. So... Yeah, I think the future is I think the future is very bright for sure. What what a great articulation. We need to get that on video and put it out uh, for the world to see, Justin. <laughs> what a really great way to share the importance of the arts. And thank you for giving so many musicians in Central Florida the opportunity to to connect and to build relationships, to find a home, and then, of course, to perform. And I know there will be many more stories uh, out of our orchestra under your leadership. So thank you for joining us on this podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I look forward to a part two. We want to hear your stories. Email us at artsmatter at cfcarts.com. Until next time.